0: I can't remember his last name. I was going to do an impression of a guy, but I can't remember his last name. It's the impression. Just a guy? No, dude. No, I don't know why I said that. So, uh, no, no, dude. <laughs> no, no dude. That. A specific guy, but I can't remember his last name, so I can't say that I'm him. <sighs> What's his first name? Dave. Dave? Oh, it's Dave Brubeck. You, that's who you wanted to do an impression of? <laughs> yeah, my fucking famous Dave Brubeck impression. Wait, was. do it. Yeah, it's mostly about the notes between the notes. Like to me jazz is about the notes that you don't play. And that's my Dave Brubeck impression.
1: You know, I was expecting it to be really bad, but I actually thought that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> It's really when you came in with the what was it, the sex was. Yeah. You gotta look good. You have a good like kind of internal blowing like Horn sound you got
0: going on there. Aww. Yeah, it's nice. I feel like I could be in another era, probably one of the best jazz. Like if I was born. No. Just
1: whatever you're about to say, like, I'm going to say no.
0: 1899, you, I think I would have invented jazz.
1: No, and also you were doing so well with the very adorable Aww. Brubeck impression. And then you got to come out with the I would have invented jazz. I have just killed the it all. greatest
0: record I have. They, the prize of my collection is I have a cool uh, weird 45 that his son did. mm uh, called you'll lose. It's is it fucking, good? Yeah, it's great. I found out that place, Rookie Ricardo's. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. It's better than Dave Brubeck did. Not a big fan of Dave Brubeck, to be honest. No, no. I feel like I'm better than him.
1: I think it's, you know, it's perfect for a romantic comedy from the nineties.
0: Yeah, which is the opposite. Of how I live my life. I live and yet, my life is how I live my life. I, you do, you do. You don't have frizzy enough hair. Thank you. That was a compliment. Thank you. I don't understand women. My name is Dave Brubeck. Praise uh, Brubeck.
1: I'm Liz. Brubeck. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky, and this is
0: Truanon. Hello. Hello. We are, what, what's the month, Liz? Can you check your calendar? It's November. Your favorite month. It's an okay month. What's your favorite month? Mm, I'm not telling you. You're not telling me. It's gets. a whole two. We're about to spend th- like three I have hours talking about secrets.
1: November's one of them.
0: Oh, crazy, November sucks. Yeah, what May I is another. Also shitty.
1: And I really like December, classic. Because what of the frick is wrong with you? I love Christmas and holiday. Crazy cheer.
0: to base your pleasure of a month and on coziness. the holiday is within.
1: Everyone knows the the best months are like June, September. Okay, get that out of the way. Yeah. But personal faves, I like a December. I'm a December rocking, to
0: remember. I'm rocking with August. Unbearably hot. Yeah, you would. It sucks, but I. It's it's. But you know what's better than than the cold of December? Mm. The heat of summer.
1: You know, you say that now, but I'm gonna record you in the summer because it's, it's not just at hot all what in comes here, out your mouth.
0: Dude, it's just hot in here. No. What? I like I'm like a beach guy. Yeah. Very you know, ludicrous I Let's in get same, into the so years. JFK. The episode. We are talking today. We have with us Ben Howard and Aaron Good. Two people you know and love. I think Ben's been on the show, in fact, not even think. Ben has been on the show by far more than any other guest, I yes. would say. I was thinking about this earlier. Ben's in the room members right of his. Just, He's just not mic'd up. So I know, just, he's just right here. He's just Wait, sitting can, here. Can, we can... can Ben, off the top of your head, how many True episodes have you been on?
2: <laughs> there was a whole 9/11. Yes. I actually forgot about one because I forgot that we did those ones with my brother. When yeah, we I was going to say your brother bombing. has yes. also been on the like show. I, the- I actually forgot about that because yeah, it's been it's been a lot. It was 9/11, Boston bombing, JFK, uh, like a couple. NATO. One-off. Those oh are my some. God, oh NATO my ones. god, dude, we
0: did it, the NATO series with the you. The NATO yeah, episodes.
1: Yeah, those are. Gladio. Was... Was... Yeah, that we was did a part bunch of NATO. I can't remember. Those are some people's favorites. I got to say. It's been a lot. I think we're gonna. I think it's been we a good have. Time. I think you're
0: our mm. award-winning guest, In which fact, is
1: actually so crazy because we have an award here to give you. Oh my god! <laughs> actually, yes, Liz, show him the.
0: We, we do have a real award.
2: Oh my uh, god! I don't think you it's want the, it, but we were sent this by the the, the insane-looking new Patreon. It's the oh craziest
0: thing, and I I queried. I queried is this other. To be a P? I we don't
2: know. I'll just I, describe what this is. It looks like a misshapen jelly bean with yes. a child's face on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think is, it's a
0: completely accurate assessment. And I think that, that is.
2: and this is a Patreon creator milestone award.
0: Yeah, I
2: don't know what milestone. Who who, who's, who do you? I mean, do you really want to put this like on it's your mantle for and show it off? The milestones
1: that you have been a part of, been creating <laughs> so many memorable <laughs> Patreon you, you're episodes.
2: You're sharing that.
0: you sharing that award, Ben. Well,
2: thank you. I I, I take this proudly.
0: I gotta be. Honest, I, I asked a bunch of other people it's like, got gems on it did you guys get an award or anything
2: and it's bedazzled that's crazy only we got
0: a, we looked it's at it's like deceptively heavy we looked at the ladies other artwork and let me tell you it's I, out of this world stuff that I don't want to say on the show out of this world <laughs> I, 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 I just I, I do appreciate that instead of like the Grammy guy or Oscar the Oscar I actually don't know what Oscars that's the same thing as the Grammys
2: yeah, as a guy. The guy. Mostly, usually guys, the, right? It's not
0: the same. No, Grammys. Grammys no, Academy Awards is the same yeah.
2: thing is the Grammys. the Academy Awards of oh, yeah, the Grammy's Oh, uh, the Grammys are a record player, right? Yeah, yeah a record a player. Thought, yeah.
0: And then there's a moon man for MTV. This sure. is the opera singer from Fifth Element's head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as it's leaving her body, <laughs> too. Well we it's also it. like going somewhere
2: else. Yes. I
0: genuinely think this is the only award I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs>
2: this is incredible. I don't know even know who gets awards.
0: You know what, though? It's just nice to be nominated. It's nice to be It's nice to win.
1: <laughs> That's why I don't understand when people
0: say that. It's like, okay, it's nice to be nominated. Ben just tried to hand it back to Liz, but she was looking at me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like it's really nice to give it to me. All right, so we have Ben here, and if you know, we if we have Ben here, you know, you're about to hear more than one episode of something. Ben, what are we talking about?
2: We're talking about JFK. We're talking about Lee Harvey Oswald, especially, and, and all of his various escapades and an international man of mystery and. Uh, what what people knew and didn't know about what was going on with uh, with that little Mexico City thing? God, he's so good. A natural. Let's get to it.
0: Ah, what a brisk but beautiful November day here in Dallas, Texas. <sighs> I love being president. The best part to me about it is the parades. And the best part about parades to me is this extraordinary... I pronounce weird because I'm I'm from the Northeast. <laughs> it's this extraordinary uh, open-top limousine that I'm allowed to ride in. They let you do it when you're president. Ah, time to get my beautiful wife who assures me that she has no taste for the Greeks, only the Irish... And sit right here in this limousine and just uh, head through town. Ooh, a book depository. I love books. In fact, I've written one myself about all of my heroes. (sighs) Ah, what a wonderful... No! Which is the sound you make when you get shot. God lets you say a couple words before you die. And here to say a couple of words and then die with us are independent researcher, Ben Howard, and political scientist and host of the American Exception podcast, Aaron Good. Welcome to the show, guys.
3: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bryce. It's great to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This
1: is the first time we have both of you here in person. Aaron, we've had you in person. Ben, we've
0: never had you in person before. This is so exciting.
2: It's a a very quaint zone. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) I got to tell you. Uh, one thing that I, I don't want to dox you or anything, here, even though we're saying your first and last name on the show, the guy is
2: massive. I'm a man of height. It's It's been said that's true. Seven? No, no. But it's all in the legs. All, all of it's in the legs.
0: Sort of like a Yao Ming situation that I was just not expecting. But we, we're having you guys on Yao because it, it is about to be the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. And longtime listeners and true heads will know that we did uh, – we were just trying to figure out how many episodes. I think we did six. Six. We did six episodes. J- just JFK 101 episodes with you guys. And uh, now we are all gathered here in person for actually the biggest in-person podcast recording session. That's not true. We've had four people in person. Really? Show, when? Stav and Adam.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, but uh, for the, our second – and first in this studio <laughs> – uh, we're doing a little JFK 201.
1: Which we should say, by the way, if people listening, you haven't listened to the 101 series, the six episodes, stop listening to this. Go back. That's six hours. And frankly, actually, probably it's more it's way probably 12 than 12 hours. It's hours, hours. Yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> of primo podcasting that I highly recommend and will get you fully pilled on everything. That
0: happened to Julia Plaza. We've done other episodes uh, kind of related to this too, one with Lisa Pease and one with uh, James Eugenio, who I think will come up uh, a little bit later in this little talk. But we are doing right now – you, I assume because you're a, a true listener, you have listened to all of those. And actually in anticipation of the 60th anniversary, you've recently listened to all of those episodes. Mm. And so we're going to skip with some of the – maybe the little buildup and we're going to head straight into basically JFK 201 here. And so I know there was a few things both you guys wanted to bring to the table here. And one is – and one of my favorite things is both internal workings of the CIA and also Oswald's um, colorful life in the years leading up to the assassination
2: he he certainly had a very colorful life and i think the one of the most interesting places to find out about that is to look at what the cia says they knew about him uh and you know i mean uh reading through troves of documents and cia bureaucracy is definitely uh one of my one of my hobbies one of my pastimes and there's (laughs) there's ample Uh, ample documentation to go through. Not as much as there should be. I mean, you know, there are thousands of documents that are still being withheld, which you know, legally speaking, should have been declassified already. And a bunch that are just straight redacted. Yeah, or, I mean, there are lots of records that have been destroyed as well where mm-hmm. you see references to things that that subsequently were, were you know, just removed from the record entirely. Um, so clearly there is, uh, there, there certainly was more evidence in the documentary record, but even what exists, uh, uh, you know, right now and what's been declassified or at least partly declassified, uh, you can start to definitely get a sense that, uh, the CIA was was less than forthcoming uh, with both the Warren Commission but also with the uh, House Select Committee, and they knew a lot of things that they didn't say at that time and concealed a lot of things. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the, it, because there's a lot of arcane technical details about who knew what when and who sent which memo to who, uh, but really at the end of the day it's, it's about trying to understand uh, why was this guy who, as we'll discuss, you know the CIA knew he had he had attempted to de- you know that he did defect to the USSR mm-hmm. in 1959. Uh, that he had threatened to give up secrets about something special that he knew. And we can talk about what that was. Uh, that he then came back and was involved in organizing for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Allegedly, uh, you know he was he was apparently a big fan of Castro, mm-hmm. and yet simultaneously also apparently anti-Castro. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then he goes to Mexico City and meets again with officials in in, uh, both the Cuban and Soviet uh, embassies in Mexico City uh, just weeks before, you know, like six weeks before the assassination. Uh, And for some reason, despite that fact, on October 8th, you know, like six weeks before Kennedy's killed, he's taken off of the FBI's uh, security index. So when the secret service does their sweep of, you know, does anybody happen to work in a in a book depository who might have a checkered past to say the least, they don't find anybody on that list. And so, you know, there's there's Oswald in the book depository. Uh, you know, when when Kennedy gets killed and whenever you think Oswald's ultimate role in that is, you know, there he is and he's he's there to get blamed for for what happened. Um, and so the story of how all of that stuff got suppressed over the course of many years uh, really, uh, I think it shows that the CIA's story that they had no information about him, that their file on him was very small, mm-hmm. um, that he was never that he never served their purposes, that he was never an asset of theirs. Uh, there's a ton of evidence that indicates that that's probably not true, um, and so it makes the all of the continued withholding and lying about. Uh, all these various documents that are still out there. Uh, it makes it all the more difficult to understand. Uh, I, mean, you, I mean, you can understand that they, they want to hide their role in the assassination. Uh, but just, you know, on, on his face, they have an obligation to release this stuff. There's no reason to believe them about any of it. Uh, it's clear they're still hiding things. So, you know, but that's, that's just, you know, sits on the table. Nobody wants to do anything about it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think one of the more curious aspects of that, right, is like, I mean, people, I I think, are usually well aware of this, but like, you know, Oswald defected to the USSR. Yeah, that's right. Oswald defected to the USSR after being in the U.S. military, specifically working on essentially spy planes. Yeah. And then says, announces openly, like, I'm going to the USSR, I'm going to defect and I'm going to give them – I think he tells the consular officer that he meets with before he, he tears up his passport or whatever uh, that he's going to give them as many secrets as that he knows. Right? Yeah,
2: about his – so I mean his – he he yeah, to get into his background around the U-2, so he worked on the U-2 spy plane program, which was a CIA uh, surveillance program. It's a very um, high-flying surveillance plane. Uh, that was able to take photos of what was going on in the Soviet Union. This was before spy satellites and all of that. Um, and it was a very useful tool for the U.S. to find out uh, specifically what the Soviet Union was doing with ballistic missiles. Uh, this whole thing around the missile gap was a, a big thing during the Eisenhower administration, this idea that uh, the Soviet Union had these ballistic missiles that would allow them to nuke everybody. Uh, and so, But the U-2 was a huge source of information about what was going on with that. And Oswald worked at um, several different U two bases with his Marine uh, uh, radar squadron that he was a part of. He was a radar operator, um, so he worked at Atsugi Air Base, uh, or it was, it was a naval air station uh, in in Japan. But he was also in the Philippines uh, during uh, one of the Ind- during the Indonesia crisis in 1958. It seems like the, they presumably the CIA was using this the U two to do you know spy plane stuff in in Indonesia. And then during during the Taiwan Straits crisis that same year. So Oswald is a – he's a marine radar operator at all of these bases that are associated with the U-2 program. And it's not a – I mean it's not a question that they worked with the U-2. His commanding officer testified yeah. like we would see the U-2 all the time. Uh, you know, it would park next to our – the hangar at one of the bases they were working at was was right next to their barracks. So they, they knew it. And Oswald uh, was tracking these and, again, his commanding officer, Donovan – talks about how he um, tracked a U-2 flight over China, which was not acknowledged at the time that you know that, that was happening. Um, and so he certainly knew details about, for instance, how high the U-2 could fly. Um, he knew details about what was the tempo of of uh, the flights because he was tracking a lot right. of them and, and his unit was tracking all of them. Um, so he knew all of these details. So he... Uh, in this, you know, which is this is itself a crazy story, but he gets a hardship discharge from the Marines uh, to go take care of his ailing his ailing mother. That is apparently why he, uh, and I think that happened on September eleventh, nineteen fifty nine. He then, uh, like a month later, is in Moscow. So he did not apparently have to take care of his mom. Uh, the purpose of it was for him to defect, mm-hmm. and like you said, he goes into the consular office and starts uh, talking to the consular official, who also probably was a CIA uh, asset of some kind, and yeah, starts saying that he's going to share his radar secrets, and that he also has uh, you know information of, of special interest. Um, and it's also a pretty well understood, you know, important context is that all of those embassies are all bugged. By the local intelligence agency. Yeah, uh, you know that was something we all learned. You know during the Khashoggi uh, thing, where the where the Saudi consulate where Khashoggi was killed in Turkey, the Turks had bugged it. and yeah, you know, yeah, Knew everything yeah. that was going on. So it's pretty common. So it was the same situation here, where the KGB has bugged this uh, embassy, and they and everybody knew that. Um, and so Oswald saying this stuff to this consular official, like, why would you? Announce your intention to do something illegal. Yeah, <laughs> right, it's like yeah. a performance. You're gonna share, for, and yeah. you're and you're trying to you're trying to like ostensibly Oswald's going in there to convince this guy, like to give me the give me the paperwork so I can renounce my American citizenship, yeah, so yeah. that I can go tell the the Soviets these secrets that I know. Like, I'm, that's I'm obviously not going to encourage the, the guy to let you do that.
3: I believe there was a reporter there also. Wasn't that Priscilla McMillan there at the...
2: Yeah. Uh, uh,
3: and a write up on it. And she was somebody who became... Fam- you know, she later befriended uh, Marina Oswald. And oh, she was, yeah, Priscilla uh, Justin, She was known yeah. as a witting CIA yeah. asset. So yeah. uh, she just happened to be there to document all yeah. these wild and crazy things that Oswald was saying.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so it's... it's you know, it seems like he, like you said, it was like a performance, like he yeah. wanted it. And it's also possible, um, you know, the guy who was basically taking this statement from Oswald uh, also had these CIA connections, specifically, uh, you know, he had basically gotten instructions from this guy Brickham at the CIA mm-hmm. to to serve intelligence purposes while he was at the embassy. And he had openly worked for the CIA before he went to, um, to foreign service school. So it seems very plausible to me that this was that that he anticipated that Oswald was going to come in and do this. Yeah. Oswald certainly knew what to expect. He talks about how oh yeah uh, they told me you would try to talk me out of it and things like this. So he it's and Snyder's interpretation was that Oswald had been coached by somebody to do this. Mm. Now there's no I mean there's no other evidence in the record anywhere that he had any that he told anybody about this or that anybody would have had any insider info about the embassy that would have told him to do this so what's going on here who instructed oswald to do this who gave him this you know snyder talks about how it seemed very prepared and that oswald was basically reading from a prepared script not literally but that he had memorized exactly yeah he what to came say. in like sort of
0: spoke in like a stilted way that's really yeah
2: that it was a and so like you said it was a it was a performance of sorts um, and uh you know there are theories about why that happened but it does seem like some kind of of intelligence operation uh, that Oswald was involved in there. And the huge piece of evidence for that is, uh, you know, my favorite thing, which is document routing and who reads what documents. (laughs) So, you know, ostensibly like this guy who's a Marine goes to the Soviet Union, like there's a whole department in the CIA, a whole division that is supposed to have all that, get all the info about that, the Soviet Russia division. They're supposed to, uh, you know, so like uh, like you were saying, Aaron, there was a newspaper article. Like the first one was an Elaine Mosby article that came out uh, the next day. So Oswald defected on October 31st, 1959. The first article came out the next day. So if like you work in the Soviet Russia division, you're probably reading the Washington Post, which is where yeah, this article yeah, appeared. Yeah, yeah. So you would read that article and be like, oh, like this person defected. And the article talked about um, his military background uh, it didn't mention some of the things that later became uh, that Snyder talked about, like well, the fact that he was going to offer these secrets. It Doesn't have yeah, that stuff because yeah, yeah, it came from an interview that. that she did with Oswald. So it didn't have the juiciest stuff. But you know, it was a
1: bulletin. It was yeah, being it was sent very
2: out. yeah, exactly. It was like a very sh- it was a relatively short article and it didn't include all the de- all the details. Um, but now, if you're in the Soviet Russia division, you'd be expecting that uh, the State Department just met with this guy. They're presumably going to give us a debrief about what happened, and that they never see any of that paperwork. It all gets routed to uh, two other offices in the uh, in the CIA. One of them is James Angleton's, the famous James James Angleton's counterintelligence unit, mm-hmm. um, and the Office of Security. And specifically, it gets routed to the mole hunting units within uh, both of those departments. So the CIA had basically two. Uh, I don't, maybe I'll explain what a mole is if people are I was about not, to say, I, yeah,
0: I, yeah, I, which is certainly angleton was very familiar yeah, with yeah exactly but what what is what's a mole in in this context?
2: So a mole is someone who purports to uh, work for one a- intelligence agency and in reality, they're relaying things back. so one of the f- one of the more famous moles that's directly related to this is this guy Peter Popov. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he was a KGB. I can't remember exactly his rank, but he was a fairly high-ranking KGB uh, guy. He lived in Moscow, and he became a CIA mole. So, from 1952 uh, until he was caught um, in 1959, uh, actually, he got caught. He got a arre- well, he got arrested. Uh, I think the day that Oswald came to Russia, uh, so very fortuitous coincidence there. Um, but he uh, he was he was a KGB. Um, you know, he's a KGB officer. He's relaying things back to the CIA over a period of about six years, and one of the things that he revealed uh, was that uh, he he overheard one of his colleagues um, talking about the U2 program, and apparently the Soviet Union had somehow gotten details about the U2 program from a from a mole that they that this person had in the CIA. Mm-hmm. So Popov tells Angleton this. He tells the you know he tells the CIA about this, um, and I think that is what. Triggers and and you know that's like Jefferson Morley has written about this and John mm. Newman has written about this. That seems to be what triggers Oswald's uh, trip to to the USSR because you want to figure out what uh, what exactly do they know, right? Popov over here is one statement, but what exactly do they know? What details do they know? Let's go do some kind of counterintelligence operation so it would explain the otherwise very strange thing, which is. Some, for some reason, this is the first time Oswald ever comes on the CIA's radar, and yet for some reason, almost all of the documents related to him go to the mole hunting units in the CIA. You know, How can you explain that? Why does that make sense? The most reasonable explanation, given the, given the you know, documents that exist, is he was a part of some kind of mole hunting operation in some way.
3: Um, I recently talked to Jim DiAgenio about this, and he came up with some new research, or he pointed me to some of it. And a woman who was working for the HSCA, the House Select Committee on Assassinations in the 70s, the group that reinvestigated the assassination, was this woman named Betsy Wolfe, and she was given the task of looking at Oswald's CIA file and uh, doing a write-up on it. Now, she... um, was very diligent and seems to be pretty smart and a dogged researcher, uh, judging by what she was able to put together. Now, there were there was no transcript of this, and it was classified and hidden away for a long time, um, but there were handwritten things that she had. Everything was handwritten. And she was uh, puzzled by the fact that there wasn't a 201 file on Oswald that should have been created you know very early on while he's doing all these crazy things
2: Helms Helms himself when he learned of the date so the 201 file is like a with the normal file you would expect to see mm-hmm. right like when somebody like Oswald defects you would normally expect to see a, a so 201 they would file. open up a 201 file yeah, yeah. that the, the Soviet Russia division would open up a 201 file or if you file.
3: did way less even way less provocative things than yeah, that you oh, would yeah. get a 201 file. absolutely
2: but it, but it was not opened until – so he did that on on um, October 31st of 1959. And I think the 201 file was not opened until December of the next year if I recall correctly. Of 1960. Of 1960, yeah. And when Richard Helms was told this, he didn't know this. When he was told this, his reaction was this is incredible. Like I, is that really true? I, I actually can't believe that, which I kind of buy that he didn't know about this, any of this. But it just shows like, you know, I mean Richard Helms – obviously, is someone who understands normal procedure with respect to, you know, how these things get done. And he was very surprised by this fact.
3: Yeah, I think that part of the mystery here also is part of the mystery of why more stuff didn't come out during the Family Jewels, you know, era of Watergate when Richard Dixon tried to get the his own CIA director to dig up as much dirt on the CIA
2: as possible. For safekeeping.
3: For, yes. To, I mean, he the, what, what really happened was that Schlesinger saw all the connections to the, from the, between the CIA and the burglars and was like, what the hell is going on here? I gotta, the CIA they basically had come to the conclusion that the CIA was behind all of this Watergate bullshit, which is how Nixon would have perceived it. I mean, Nixon committed lots of crimes, yada yada, but the point is they the family jewels they didn't really turn up a whole lot of very explosive things and i think that the reason for that is related to the same to what happens with oswald's files here it's that they the office of security was doing that mole hunt and yeah. they are kind of the inner sanctum of the inner sanctum mm. of the cia they are yeah. the group that handles like sexual blackmail, uh, probably counter... Why
0: are you looking
1: at me?
3: ...counterintelligence. <laughs> but, well you guys have done a considerable amount of work on this well, we, subject. We both, and... we all have.
0: I
1: don't know why you... Been... Well, it's a little bit weird to right. the only female. <laughs> go
3: on. Well, and, uh, and uh, because sexual you're sexually blackmailing me, Brace, that's why. <laughs> that's we you had know had this, had and had this, this is But our... you're saying
1: it was, like, cordoned <laughs> off, like, specifically so far away that, like, really, I mean, even concentric circles of departments wouldn't be able to access it.
3: Yes, I th- and I think that this actually gets into the key key of some of the the worst secrets of the of the US is that there is a level of secrecy that is like <laughs> I would say it's like really high you really do not get <laughs> access to that as, you, yeah. as evidenced by, like, there's a transcript of, of Richard Nixon trying to argue with Richard Helms about yeah. secrets related to the Kennedy assassination. He's making these arguments like, well, how is this supposed to work? The president comes in and he doesn't even know what the last administration was doing, and this doesn't seem right, whatever. And he still walked away empty-handed. The president did. So what happens with this woman, uh, Betsy Wolf, when she is l- l- analyzing these files, she finds someone named—he's uh, got a great name, Dick Gambino— and
1: uh I feel like everyone, by the way, in the in this <laughs> in this entire case, everyone is somehow yeah. named Dick Gambino, well, even when they're not named literally Dick Literally, the Gambino. other two
0: people he just mentioned, also I mean Richard Nixon and Richard Helms.
1: Yeah, Dick Nixon. Dicks.
0: And Dick Helms. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 No, it's a tale of many dicks. And, yeah. and uh, Richard. This guy was not as bad because he actually explained it to her. He was saying, like, look, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter uh what how the file is it, it, what what's most important is that the the file can get routed somewhere so it'll always come to a, this place so that's why you can't find these things it's probably because they were immediately routed to the office mm. of security yeah. and he didn't he didn't know why that was the case or anything else about it but we can uh, we can extrapolate or whatever we can uh understand that it's a black hole of sorts. And yeah. so that was – the fact that Oswald was being used in a mole hunt like this made him the perfect person because all of his files were managed in a particular way or the vast majority of them. Yeah. And so this is why he was able to be manipulated in this way quite easily. And the fact that they found this woman and uh, her work and it was hidden away forever and never written up, um, I mean, that's it's pretty remarkable that she had so diligently looked at this. And it's uh, – you know, this is – the mystery of what happened to Oswald is likely somewhere in the office of security, and it, I would bet that they still have a lot of that stuff today because they, as they do scrub things, I don't think they re- they obviously don't release everything. They probably get rid of some documents, but they also have to keep them in a sense to know what they need to cover up in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't think that they do everything orally and then you know everything's totally off the books. I think they actually have to have some way of making sure they know what crimes they need to keep covering up because they're a pretty big criminal organization and they'll lose track of all the crimes they're constantly committing if they don't.
0: I would. I, I, I want to put it into context uh, a little bit more for our listeners too, is that um, the moles were a hugely important part of Cold War spy games. Yeah. Uh, and the USSR was significantly more sophisticated in a lot of that we know of. I mean, obviously we we, we have... We don't have a ton of insight or at least as much insight as we'd like on either the CIA or the KGBs or whatever related intelligence agencies during the Cold War as, as we might like. But um, the USSR was pretty adept at putting moles or even just giving the impression that maybe somebody who wasn't a mole, a real defector might be a mole, yeah. et cetera, uh, in the CIA, which obviously very famously caused Engleton to go insane or maybe he's the mole. you know? Like, yeah.
2: Um, well, and they were able to put their mo- like, uh, for instance, Kim Philby was a mole hunter. Yes, exactly. You know, he yeah. was basically Angleton's counterpart at MI6, and he was he. I mean, he was like a KGB guy from his days at, at Cambridge. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he managed to. I mean, he there was, <laughs> they were never going to find. You know, it took them an extremely long time to find him, uh, because he I was extremely him. well placed. Yeah. And uh, Newman, Newman thinks, uh, John Newman who's uh, written about Popov and, um, uh, you know, whatever source it was uh, that Popov identified that, that told the KGB about the U2 program, you know, that person was never ultimately found um, and so whatever, uh, you know, whatever uh, mole hunt they were doing to try to find, you know, Newman has theories about who it might have been but uh, as far as the CIA was concerned at the time, you know, they never found that person. And presumably, that person was able to continue to pass, you know, secrets to the KGB throughout the throughout the Cold War, or, or at least until they retired. Uh, so yeah, it seems like a pretty, uh, you know, pretty devastating thing. Especially when you consider that uh, Oswald defected uh, in in on Halloween of 1959. Um, and then there were two U two flights after that. W- the first one after that went off without a hitch, and then the second one after that was Gary Powers getting shot down mm-hmm. in, in May of 1960. Also went off without a hitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he blamed
3: uh, Oswald too. Pa- he did. Powers did yeah, at the, certain yeah, points. He was I like, "Is
2: that little Oswald?" I read an guy.
0: interview with his son though, where his son's like.
2: I don't know if it was like, like, I mean, I'm like, he's like, I don't know,
0: I really blame Oswald for it. Yeah, there's
2: a lot, of, I mean, there's definitely a lot of weirdness around, around yeah. the Gary Powers shoot down. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, it's at least plausible to connect the two or that or that someone would want it, want it to appear that the two were connected. Uh, I think that's very plausible. And like you said, yeah, Powers, uh, c- because specifically the issue was, you know, the height at which the U-2 flies, which was like one of the most um, important parts of how it yeah. avoided um getting shot down and then also one of the most closely held things about it and um it's also very possible that that information came from the mole that Popov was talking about because that uh, that is supposedly what the what the CIA mole told the KGB about the U2 was all the technical details about it um so yeah identifying who that was you know the U2 being such a crucial part of uh the the US surveillance at that point finding out who that person was 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 pretty crucial and it seems like you know I mean it certainly seems like Oswald was uh, involved in that based on the fact that all these all these files on him were going to uh, the mole hunting units and and not the places you would expect them to
3: That gets into what Oswald was basically doing when he comes back because it seems that most like while he's there performing in the embassy saying. I am a defector and I'm going to give you state secrets. My name is Lee Harvey Oswald and here's how you spell it. I mean when he comes back, he is similarly acting in a really – he's drawing a lot of attention to himself as a communist without doing much effective communist organizing.
0: Well, all right. uh, From my experience with many communists, that's not so unusual.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, he's, he's,
0: I mean,
1: he sort of like repeats this later on. He's very good at like making a scene and yes. making a very like, Yes. hey, I, re- I remember that guy. Yeah. He's like really good at being that guy that you're going to remember yeah. because the scene he creates is so over the top. Being yeah.
0: photographed in New Orleans.
1: Yes, that's exactly example. what I'm thinking. Yeah. But it's like he's the guy, who's, he's going to have like props on him. He's like going to like knock over a bookcase on his way out. He's in wearing a, a giant hut.
2: sandwich board that says like Viva Fidel and yes. stuff. But, like Literally, yeah. that he's was gonna, what he was like, doing. He's
1: going to like slip and then open his briefcase and all these like gummy worms are going to fall out and he's going to like, slip on There actually was an incident them. where
2: he's like holding a giant stack of uh, Fair Play for Cuba committee flyers and like he gets like beat up and they just scatter everywhere. Yes, <laughs> so, so it's that just everyone his name. sees exactly. them. Exactly, it's just his name and that I am I love Cuba. Yes. Yeah, and it's just they're just spread all over the place <laughs> on the streets of New Orleans. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: really, really good at, you know, getting um, getting all the evidence in order
3: yeah
2: it's it's totally true because yeah when he when he comes back from uh, when he comes back from the Soviet Union, which you know there's a there's a uh, the the way that he the way that he you know got back to the us uh, is very strange, you know, I mean, to not even get into any of his escapades in Russia where it seems like he was being surveilled. It seems possible that Marina was originally some kind of intelligence asset. Yeah, Marina his wife. I mean, yeah, Marina, like Marina, Marina from, Oswald, his from wife. what
0: I know about the KGB and the way they operated, like I would be shocked if she
2: right. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And from what I know about female like counterparts, yeah, they're very often assets. Yeah, there
2: was a there there was a there uh, was a CIA, I can't remember what uh, is what his kryptonym was but um he he did tell he did tell you know he he was a, he was another mole, he was a you know KGB guy uh, in uh, he had trained in Minsk, which was the city where Oswald was um, and that's what he told the CIA was that Marina was uh, what he called a swallow, which is uh, basically a way that intelligence agencies would use women uh, to get you know get men into bed and and um, you know basically infiltrate their lives in that yeah. way. Um, I'm but, hoping that's a reference to the bird because it's just, I think it, de- so. it is, I think but it's so. also awful. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and it's probably uh, different
0: in
3: Russian.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Whatever the Russian word for that is, I doubt yeah. it's yeah. Uh, and uh, but his his what this uh, what this um, mole told the CIA was that you know basically she she mostly wanted to get to the U.S. and get out of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and that she stopped being useful to them at that point. Uh, which is, is you know, she's still, uh, I don't know, like when Oswald comes back, he's sending letters to the, he literally like wrote, and you have to know, right, like everything that goes to the Soviet embassy is read by the FBI. Yes. Like they're opening every single letter. And if you're a halfway intelligent person, you're going to understand that that's the case because obviously yeah. that's the case. Uh, and so he's like, he writes a letter to the Soviet embassy asking them for recommendations of left-wing bookstores <laughs> where he can get – this is literally what he did. Yeah. He, and he asked for, you know, can you recommend to me left-wing bookstores where I would be able to get subscriptions to subversive material. Like that's literally what he's <laughs> He
0: wrote subversive material. I don't material, think he used the word subversive but material, but he like named yeah.
2: left wing and you know, also like you International know, Publisher. He whatever, was asking yeah. for the CPUSA and the Socialist Worker Party, which you know is like a little bit, you Listen, know, pick one, and right? This is
0: yeah, well, this is the this is always struck to me as one of the funniest things about the Oswald's uh case, I guess you could say, is that like he was at At the same time as he was just like such a a sort of bog standard, like, I am a communist, and like he moves to the Soviet Union in 1959. Right. Uh, He also is like, you know, he's photographed famously in the backyard with Trotskyist newspapers. And like
3: one Trotskyist and then one.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is is even weirder. Listen, I'm not going to say that I've never read a Trotskyist newspaper (laughs) in my life. In fact, they're kind of the only guys with newspapers these days. Yeah. They kind of just end up in your hands. <laughs> they, just, too. they do. They do. Or sometimes they come to a work party you have and give one to you. It's the Spartacists uh, and um, but a and lectured us. But uh, the. It's it, That's always been the strangest thing is that, like, he's just like, yeah, I just like communism.
2: Like, well, I like all of it. Especially given, like, he, the reason he told everybody he wanted to come back is that he had become disillusioned. Exactly. With yeah. li- having lived in the Soviet Union. That's what he told everybody. So for him to then come back and say, actually, like, he seems even more hardcore about it uh, after he came back than before he went – uh, which is you know, totally contrary to the st- stated reasons he gave for why he came back to the u s in the first place. Uh, so it just, yeah, it it doesn't really it does not really line up. I mean, it seems to me like you know there was an alternative you know there was a need for him, and he wasn't he wasn't useful. but because basically what what ultimately happens as far as his role in that u two mole hunt is, um, you know, I assume everybody in the Soviet Russia division was like, okay, you know, we're not getting any documents about Oswald, so clearly something's going on here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like so he's we're being just,
0: used by another level. We're yeah. just
2: not gonna touch this guy. He's clearly radioactive. Because mm. the intention would be somebody, the the KGB Mole at the CIA starts asking about Oswald. Yes. And when somebody starts asking about Oswald uh, you know, you start to get a sense that, okay, this this is one, at least a candidate for the mole. But that never happened,
0: and this this is this is, I mean, Ben, what you're describing, like is a, oh, yeah, like textbook case of how things went down, yeah. at the CIA. It's like they would they would sort of like put out these people as bait and like see who got right. gets picked up and asked about,
2: yeah. and both sides use false defectors all yeah. the time to spread false information. I mean, there's a famous false defector in this case, uh Yurinoshenko, mm-hmm. um you know, who who, uh, came to the U.S. and you know was alleged to be a, a KGB uh, defector and and spread all kinds of lies and and in particular told uh, told the CIA that the KGB had not, knew nothing about Oswald had no interest in him at all which is obviously not true especially now that we know there were like they were intercepting his mail over mm-hmm. there they had people like you know all kinds of people as well as you have the the other defectors that I mentioned other moles. Uh, who talked about Marina's role in surveilling him? Uh, so it's it's uh, yeah that technique of um, false defectors, uh, you know this kind of flypaper thing that that uh, Oswald did to try to you know you know uh, smoke out whoever the mole was in the CIA. Uh, but when when it didn't work out, and he's just you know hanging out in Russia, uh, collecting like a huge paycheck. By the way, like he he had a, a beautiful apartment overlooking the river in Minsk. Uh, he was getting, a, a bit, in addition to his his factory job, he was like getting double. He was getting that much income again uh, from the Soviet state, effectively. Um, so he, I think, he was pretty clearly. They knew something was up with him, and they wanted to, you know, see what was going on and surveil him. Um, but yeah, then he comes back to the U.S. and almost immediately gets involved in uh, Cuba. Um, stuff and, and the Fair Play for Cuba committee, uh, which, uh, again, for somebody who was ostensibly now disillusioned with communism is, is a very strange uh, arc to take. Uh, so it, it's, uh, again, it's one of the, and, and when you start to look at, again, how, how documents and things got routed and, and who knew what about, about that, again, it starts to look like some kind of counterintelligence operation.
3: Yeah, the fair play for Cuba committee angle is a huge part of some of these other assassination stories and the figures around Oswald. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be a, the way to tie him to uh, to make him look like he's a, a communist connected to Fidel. And, uh, and it raises questions as to what was really supposed to happen with the assassination. Because him getting killed the way that he was in jail, that doesn't seem like that was really the plan, to have a local concerned pimp come in and and shoot him but it wouldn't be how you would draw it up Um, and then other other people around him and other people that were involved in plots with JFK I mean there was one that was supposed to happen in Tampa with this guy Gilberto Lopez and he was uh, had been involved in the Fair Play for Cuba Committee just like Oswald Um, and um, this was a plot that I think it's that President maybe changes his route or so there's for whatever reason it doesn't get uh, it is not; it doesn't come to pass that he's shot at it dial- in Tampa or anything. But what is interesting about this Gilberto Lopez guy is not just that he was involved with the Fair Play for Cuba committee, but that after he ends up being in Dallas-Fort Worth on the weekend of uh, the 22nd And also afterwards, he goes to Mexico City and from there flies to Cuba, um, just as Oswald was sort of trying to do supposedly or somebody impersonating Oswald was doing in Mexico City. So uh, this is really fascinating. And the fair play for Cuba committee was uh, it was one of those operations that was illegal for the CIA to be doing, but they were still working Mm -hmm. on trying to undermine it domestically. Uh, which they're not supposed to do. And one of the people working on that was James McCord, um, the notorious Watergate burglar, the guy who in 1953 was tasked with covering up the Frank Olson murder, like a really big operator in terms of the – in the Office of Security, which is, again, the inner sanctum of the CIA where all the worst uh, secrets are kept. So that aspect of it is – I mean, it just seems clearly to be – that uh, In New Orleans, especially, that Oswald was there as an intelligence operative to discredit the Fair Play for Cuba Committee on some kind of COINTELPRO operation, type of operation, except... Uh, likely run by the CIA illegally, but, I mean, the FBI would get involved with those things, too, at certain points, and then they would subcontract them out to to goons like Guy Bannister in New Orleans. And that seems to be pretty clearly what Oswald was doing in New Orleans with the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. It doesn't make any sense to be an organizer the way he was, and he was working out of the office of a right-wing anti-communist fanatic with enormous files on subversives. It's absurdly suspicious. I mean, yeah. it isn't even suspicious. It's the, just like, the
2: 544 Camp Street address. It's which so is, strange. Yeah, yeah, can you
0: explain to, to our listeners what's up with that? Yeah, Because it is such a weird – like, keep in mind that Oswald is in New Orleans. And listen, I cannot fault the Harvey Oswald for wanting to spend maybe 1960 in New Orleans maybe rather than Mins- Minsk because I'll tell you which one I'd prefer. But he uh, – he goes down there and he's like, I'm going to become this, like, Cuba, pro-Cuba activist. Yeah. And uh, he ends up having this office and, yeah, where is it?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, so like you said, he goes – so in April he uh, of, of 1963, he moves to New Orleans and he's going to start, like, a charter branch of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. He has all this all these letters with Vincent Lee who was running the Fair Play for Cuba committee out of New York. Uh, and this was just – I mean it's what it sounds like. It was basically a, a pro-Cuba or at least an anti-anti-Cuba Um, uh, you know, uh, front organization basically for a lot of left-wing groups, uh, which there were some interesting political battles inside the uh, Fair Play for Cuba committee. But in any case, Oswald goes to New Orleans and he immediately starts passing out these flyers. And some of the flyers have this address, 544 Camp Street, which happens to be the address of Guy Bannister that that Aaron just mentioned, uh, who was this former FBI uh, G-Man who was now running a, pr- a nominally private uh, anti-Castro uh, Cuban exile organization in New Orleans. So, uh, is uh, what an incredible coincidence that uh, Oswald goes to Cuba to start a new Fair Play for Cuba committee chapter and the address that he puts on at least mm. some of the flyers that he's handing out happens to be the address of a right wing anti-Castro. Uh, you know, private, uh, you know, private contractor organizer who's doing this, uh, you know, for the FBI and CIA off the books, and he, he's pretty much the only member of Fair Play for Cuba. Yeah, Kennedy, it's just right? him. He just he him. lied about AJ hadell was, which was his alter ego, mm-hmm. and and he had a membership card that was signed by AJ Um So you know, he was he was you know, signing his own his own membership card and making it appear he was interviewed by the FBI a number of times, and he would just lie about having meetings at different people's houses. Um, it seems like he was. Um, he had an interest in Tulane. He wanted to uh, make it seem as though he was working with Tulane uh, professors who, who were already targets of uh, both the local police intelligence unit as well as the FBI in New Orleans. Um, and he, he seemed to be uh, framing it up that he was involved with them and he would even leave flyers um, Near locations where some of these Tulane professors lived, like on on Pine Street in New Orleans, he would leave these flyers. Or near the Tulane campus, he would leave these flyers with his name and, and address. Um, so he seemed to be framing it up that he had these relations with uh, with these Tulane professors. Which again, like Aaron was saying, would make sense if his job was to be this crazy guy who who mm-hmm. discredits the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Um, you know, he does. He also does some other bizarre. So first off, like even just the like even if Oswald somehow n- how did he even know the 544 Camp Street address It's just weird. Mm-hmm. But then also, how does he know who Carlos Brunier is? So Carlos Brunier, Brunier or Brunier, I'm sorry, my Cajun, my Cajun name pronunciation <laughs> is not up to snuff.
0: It's okay. It's been about, it's been a time since we've been in the swamp together. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. Uh, and, you know, Brunier uh, led this group called the DRE, or the Revolutionary Student Directorate, which mm-hmm. was this anti-Castro uh, Cuban exile organization that was run by the CIA, and Castro walks into a store that Brunier owns and finds Brunier and tells him that he wants to uh, start an anti-Castro militant like militia. He talks about I used to be a Marine and like I'm gonna help you uh, form like let's form up an anti-Castro militia. And Brunier apparently was like, this guy's either a Fed or a communist. Mm. <laughs> like this is obviously but What if he's both? <laughs> exactly. I don't think <laughs> Brunier considered that possibility. <laughs> Uh, but that, So that happens on October 6th of 1963, again, just like six weeks or so, you know, before the assassination. Uh, three days later, Bernier and a couple of his friends find Oswald on Canal Street handing out Fair Play for Cuba committee flyers and standing there with a sandwich board that says, like, Viva Fidel, hands off Cuba. So they get into a fight with him, and this is like, like you talk about, start, you know, yeah. like Liz, like starting a scene, creating a commotion. Yeah, you know, Oswald seems to want to get punched. Like he seems to want to get into a fight with these guys. Uh, certainly, as soon as he sees them, uh, and obviously they're like, you just came to us three, three days ago right. and, <laughs> and said you wanted to start an anti caster organization, and yet here you are, uh, here you are flying for for Fidel. Um, so Oswald gets arrested as a part of that, uh, which it also seems like he's trying to do, yeah, exactly. And it generates these documents in the F- you know, the FBI interviews him and asks him about this stuff. And you know, the CIA it has a very tight hold on those documents. They don't get where you would expect them to go. Um, and then the biggest thing that happens with Bernier is that um Oswald has does this. he he did a several radio debates. He was like very into. Uh, going on like college radio and local radio, he and, was a streamer. Yeah, he was like a, he was a, a content creator, uh, <laughs> and he was trying to he was trying to find his audience. So he would go and do these debates on the radio again, like trying to get his name out there as being yeah. associated with the FPCC. Mm-hmm. And in one of these, uh, he's he's this this one. So this one happened. Uh, I'm sorry, the 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 um, incident where he goes to the store. That's August 5th. I said that was in October. That was August 5th. Um, and then the, the Canal Street thing where he gets into this fight with Bernier, that's on August 9th. Yeah. So he gets bailed out. He gets out of jail. And then on August 21st, he does this radio debate uh, with, a, with a couple of guys in Bernier and some other people are there as well. And somehow these people all know about his defection to the USSR. And they bring this up like during this debate. Um like, the
0: classic. It's an ad hominem, sir.
2: Yeah. I mean that's basically what Oswald <laughs> – That's when you
1: do your research online about your opponent. Yeah. But
2: that's the thing is like at this time, like, yeah, there were newspaper articles about it. But, but like, to find that stuff, like yeah, are really to be, these like, guys going and finding the microfiche? Like are they going to their local yeah. library and going to the newspaper archives and like no, pouring somebody. over stuff? Like they're obviously not doing that. Somebody told them about this. Yes. And obviously the the most likely explanation for who told them this uh, would be would be Brignier and the DRE uh, being a CIA CIA asset. Well,
3: even more than that, the radio show where they were on uh, was run by this guy Ed Butler, who was head of the Information Council in the Americas, which was INCA, right? And that was a CIA. I mean, they were they were funded by the CIA, so yeah. it was it could have come from DRE and Brignier's posse, or it could have come from Ed Butler and the INCA yeah. people. Uh, but it was definitely not something you would have known unless he was some sort of savant who has a perfect memory of like newspaper clippings. And and reads the
2: Washington Post apparently or whatever. Religiously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have a question because so what did like how much was the CIA and the FBI tracking Oswald like up to and prior to New Orleans? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. So because he's in Dallas, so he starts his Fair Play for Cuba Committee stuff in Dallas. Yeah and then he, he that's when he gets in touch with Vincent Lee uh, who was leading the FPCC and says I want to start this um, I want to start this branch they
3: told him not to by the way yeah which They're they told like, him not New to Orleans do is a bunch of right wing crazies don't yeah do that. exactly and he's like I want to do they, it they
2: were like don't, don't they were literally like don't get an office because um, you're going to get targeted he'll get basically. firebombed yeah exactly well, hey, fire-bombed. think
0: about it this way maybe he was like I'll, he took that advice and then he put his enemy's office as the address <laughs> in the hopes so that would get firebombed
2: <laughs> yeah who yeah. moles
0: the mole you know what who I'm moles the mole
2: yeah. So there are there are. Um, I mean, I can just mention. So this is another. This time in New Orleans is another period um, where there was a lot of there were a lot of documents being produced about Oswald, but none of it was making into making it into his main file, like his main 201 file. So, um, you know, basically, if you if you were just somebody in um, the Soviet Russia d- division, or really anybody in the CIA, and you went to go look up Oswald like you wouldn't find any of these reports. So, for instance, there was a memo uh, that was written by this FBI, Special Agent Hosty in Dallas, um, uh, and he also knew about some of the, some of the basic details of New Orleans. Um, you know, that memo never makes it into Oswald's 201 file. Um, none of the information that, because uh, even if Brunier was not the source of, of uh, Oswald's defection uh, information coming to that uh, mm-hmm. radio interview, he certainly heard that. You know, whoever else knew about it, he was there and heard about it, um, and all like you know. Again, Bernier was was being handled by, and the whole organization was being handled by this uh, CIA, CIA officer George Joannides, who is uh, you know is is famous for uh, some other exploits as well, mm-hmm. specifically relating to the cover up of, of all of this. But, uh, but conveniently, there's the 17 month period where Joannidis, which included this period, uh, where Joannidis was was handling the DRE. Uh, there's just a giant blank spot and all of the monthly doc, like, reports about here's what the DRE has been doing lately are just gone. There's not in the archive anywhere. Uh, and so why was this information about Brunier not making it to the rest of the CIA? It was clearly being very closely held uh, by, the, um, by the Cuban affairs, the SAS uh, department of the CIA uh, which is corroborated by the fact that one of Angleton's um, people, Jane Roman, you know, she uh, signs – this memo goes out on October 10th that is going to inform the Mexico mm-hmm. City. You know, we'll get to Oswald and Mexico City and all of that in a second. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that happened was um, the CIA headquarters was going to give Mexico City – a memo with everything they knew because remember this is at a time when like the the oswald file was a physical file located in headquarters right so you 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 know for mexico city to find out about it they'd have to get a memo about what's going on Um, so this woman jane roman uh a bunch of people you know very in fact the assistant uh the assistant director uh for plans is, the, is one of the authors on it. So it's a pretty senior level memo that's getting written about Oswald, which again, this was before the assassination. Why is there such high level attention on Oswald You know, during the weeks leading up to the assassination? Uh, but she signs off on this memo saying the last information that the CIA has about Oswald was May 1962, which was while he was still in the Soviet Union. And she personally had read uh, FBI documents about Oswald's activities in Dallas and New Orleans and so she just they just lied to the Mexico City office and said, oh, we don't, last thing we have is, is 1962, we don't know anything about Fair Play for Cuba, we don't know about any of his altercations with Brunier and she said about that she when she was interviewed by John Newman and, and um, Jefferson Morley in the 90s, um, you know, she claimed to not remember what happened but when they showed her her signature and showed her these documents. Her explanation was, you know, I'm. This is like me. This is me on October 10th, knowingly signing off on something I know is not true. That's Mm -hmm. what she said. Mm -hmm. And her, and she says the only interpretation I could put on this would be that this SAS group, which is the Cuba Affairs um, Department of of uh, the CIA, would have held all the information on Oswald under their tight control. So if you did a routine check, if you were just some random person in the CIA looking this up, it wouldn't show up in his 201 file. Uh, she goes on to say it's indicative of a keen interest in Oswald hel- held very closely on a need to know basis, so that SAS that she's saying has a tight hold on this information is the same group that's running, Brunier and the DRE. So again, all of this, all of the where these documents were and who yeah. was holding on to them. It, again, it seems indicative that there was um, uh, some kind of you know, like Aaron Aaron put it, an operation to discredit the FPCC that was being run by Cuban Affairs. Uh, and that Oswald was some kind of asset in, in all of that, what, you know, whether he knew it or not. Uh, it seems like certainly he was treated that way by the, by the CIA Cuban Affairs Division.
1: Well, her explanation also mirrors uh, Helms's surprise. In a lot of ways, because yeah. it's they're both saying the same thing, which is, "Oh, this wasn't handled how it was supposed to be." Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. In, in her case, she's saying, "Like I participated in right. doing that; <laughs> like <laughs> I was the one who I was the one who concealed this information from yeah. from Mexico City, uh, which would would have been very relevant for them to know, given what he was doing there."
3: The, the other thing, which I didn't mention earlier, but which I think is relevant, as you bring up the Cuban division, which should have been given some had some access to some of these files, is that when Oswald when they were routing his files to the office of security they weren't ending up in the SR the Soviet division that was where they where they should have gone because he was somebody who had defected to the Soviet yeah. Union so they were whatever whatever they their concern with Oswald was it was not apparently his connections to the Soviet Union where he had right. defected and so right. that's just more the fact that they were not kept appraised of what Oswald was up to while he was over there, and then we've talked about Ottawa Atepka in the past, that State Department person who was trying to figure out who was and was not a false defector, and he was basically run out of the State Department because of that because he was very persistent. Um, it all just points to Oswald being a, a pawn of the CIA in some sort of yeah. game that they were playing.
2: Because like, if it was legitimate intelligence gathering about Oswald, the first thing that you would expect is... like. He's like the reason you would pay attention to him is he's a KGB spy. Yeah. That's come back from yeah, the US.
0: There would be, there would be like, that's what's so sort of astounding to me is that there was such, I mean, the real paranoia at the CIA sets in like later than this, but still, like, this was, this was, I mean, we're talking yeah. like,
3: they're, this is They're, height they're, of they're cold. still paranoid. They're yeah. still I paranoid. know, but it wasn't
0: like, it wasn't like how it got yeah. after yeah. some notable disasters. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it just, it's it's really like they, they seem to not even, uh, according to the documents, consider the possibility, which, you know, I... Listen, my time at the agency was magical. It was brief. I met some really amazing people, some of whom let me down. Um, but I'm like, you know, I'm no expert on this stuff, but I'm like, wouldn't you be like, this guy might be a fucking spy. Like, they might be, like, dipping him back. Yeah. It, but unless you are already can... Like completely toss out that possibility.
2: Yeah, unless you already know it's not and le- true. Exactly. Unless right. you that's already know the re- it's not true. That's the reasonable true. explanation. Yeah, you know- and like it's kind of the only explanation. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you know, we we you know we we talked in a previous uh, one of the JFK 101 episodes about uh, sort of his unofficial debriefings in in Dallas, um, but really you'd think there would be like a systemic like or systematic. Um, like full actual debriefing of him after this. I mean, George de is is more officially debriefed yeah. on his trips out of the country than Oswald is yeah. after spending time as a defecting US Marine yeah. in the in the USSR. Right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're like, wait, I need to hear more about Lee Harvey Oswald. Do we have something in store for you, which is our next episode after this one?
1: Yeah, there's a part two coming. More information, more stuff to talk about.
0: With that being said, we are joined, of course, by Ben Howard, myself. I'm Liz.
2: So I'm Aaron Good.
0: Uh, that was Aaron Good, and, and also, weirdly enough, producer Young Chomsky, mm-hmm.
2: because there's this is
1: timber there. True on. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.